We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to BuzzBeat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show. All right, welcome in. Episode 71 of BuzzBeat Radio. Uh, Queen City Hoops is our home. Don't forget that. And also our good friends over at Sports Channel 8 at Sports Channel 8. We've got a surprise for you guys on Saturday morning. I'm going to let Brian reveal it um, here in a minute. But, um, but we got a little surprise. we got a little Queen City Hoops action with Sports Channel 8 coming this Saturday. I think you guys will be interested. Um, all right, so we're going to talk a bunch of things today. Tony Parker is a Hornet, believe it or not. Uh, Malik Monk, uh, his injury update, which Queen City Hoops has you locked in on. Uh, Bismack Biombo, he's back in Charlotte. It's hard to imagine. Um Run down the updated salary cap situation post Tony Parker and Biz being back in Charlotte for the Hornets. Um, MKG potential trade scenarios. You know, it did. We haven't heard him mentioned a whole lot by Coach Borrego or really anybody that sits in front of a microphone since this whole regime change started in Charlotte. Should that raise some eyebrows? We're going to talk about that. And then some additional uh, Summer League thoughts. Uh, we did a, a Periscope on. Monday, Monday night? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Monday night. So I hope you guys joined us for that. If you didn't see that, go back and watch it. Uh, just just check out our Twitter feeds, uh, specifically BuzzBeat Radios. Uh, you can watch our reactions to the game on Monday night where the Hornets lost. And, yeah, I think that's about it. We might talk about other stuff. Who knows? But on that note, Richie, what's happening, my friend? Not a whole lot. Uh, enjoying my summer. Uh, watched some Wimbledon today, a little bit of the World Cup, the ending of the World Cup. And, actually, Spencer, our crib came in today. So, uh my uh, crafty wife put that together, and I helped her a little bit, but she loves putting things together. So I kind of feel bad because she's pregnant and putting it together, but like that's her thing. She's very crafty. Uh, while I was up here prepping for the podcast, she was downstairs putting the crib together. So the nursery's taking shape. That's big time news. I thought you were going to tell us you, you built the crib with your bare hands. No, she's there. not that crafty. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, you. With oh, your me. Hands. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, BG, what's happening with you? Not too much. Uh, summer's going well. I'm enjoying the hell out of the World Cup. I don't know how much of that you guys have been watching, but um, semifinals games on Tuesday and Wednesday were a lot of fun, and 
Summer League's been enjoyable to keep up, keep up with. Hornets have been playing pretty well uh, out, out in Vegas. It's just cool to see the team in Vegas. Makes it feel um, a little more legit and just neat seeing the league have all 30 teams there this year, too. But, Richie, man, that's crazy about uh, having the crib. I mean, that, that makes things a little more real, I suppose. And, yeah, I'll go ahead and just throw this out there, too. This Saturday um, – I assume this podcast will get out between we're recording this on a Wednesday night. I'm sure this will be out before Saturday morning. Um, Sports Channel like the radio show on 999 The Fan here in Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, etc. And you can stream it um, online as well. But uh, Spencer from Buzzbeat Radio and Queen City Hoops can be coming in studio for a little bit this week. I think you have another event that's bringing you to town. But uh, it'll be good to good to have you in studio and have you meet the whole crew. We've never met face to face. I don't think these Skype. I don't think these Skype sessions uh, count. But yeah, the, the, uh, Richie, I met you last fall in Charlotte, and uh, I mean, it's probably a conversation better suited for off air. But I'm going to be in Charlotte a week from now too, and would love to also meet up with you then. So um, regardless, it'd be awesome if I could see both you guys face to face actually in, uh, in the next week. So anyways, that, yeah, summer's good, busy, but, uh, a little more mellow than the, you know, the, the chaotic nature of, of full-time basketball season. Good stuff. Um, I'm super excited about Saturday. I think it's going to be awesome. I'm a little nervous that I'm going to meet you face to face and you're going to be like a seven foot, like gargantuan. And I'm, I'm not, totally <laughs> taken back. I'm just not, not <laughs> uh, I'm a washed up six foot one uh, <laughs> high school stretch four. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I maxed out there, unfortunately. That'll be great. And, uh, you know, that, that's just a cool point. I, I'm sure if you listen to this regularly, you understand that, we don't all, uh, we're not neighbors. We don't get together and record this, uh, to, you know, in a studio or anything like that. So, uh, there's some effort that goes into what we do and we appreciate everybody that listens and you know, we work around our own schedules to make this possible for you guys. So kind of hard to believe that I haven't met Brian face to face, but it is, uh, it is true. Yes. <laughs> so we'll finally meet Saturday. So check us out. 99.9, the fans sports channel, eight, the radio show, mm-hmm. uh, 10 to noon, Saturday morning. Check us out. All right, on that note, <clears throat> let's jump right in. Malik Monk, initial reports on his thumb um, were that he was going to be out six to eight weeks, fractured right thumb. Again, the initial reports. Um, Monk said, told us on ESPN2, Monday night, on the telecast, I think it was with George Sedano, uh, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. It was definitely uh, Sedano. It was Sedano, and, I, and I'm paraphrasing. This isn't quote for quote for what, what Monk said, but – Something to the extent of, hey, look, I don't think this thumb's broken. It doesn't feel broken. I'm getting a second opinion. Um, that's exactly what happened. I did a little digging after I heard him say that and, and was was able to find out uh, from a source close to the team, good friend of Queen City Hoops, that uh, that his thumb was indeed not fractured. Um, he didn't get a second x-ray. The team doctors for the Charlotte Hornets looked at that initial x-ray or the, the the original x-ray and determined that it wasn't broken i know that sounds crazy it sounded crazy to me at the time it's like how is how hard is it to read an x-ray but there's a lot that goes into that stuff um one doctor could see one thing uh, another doctor could see another uh, another doctor could see something else and, and that's what happened here i will say that his initial x-ray and the viewing of that x-ray was done at unlv um, University of Nevada, Las Vegas, in their medical center. So 
it, you know, it was not a team doctor that, that, that Charlotte works with that did this initial diagnosis. So not that that, you know, makes this easier to, to swallow. It feels like the Hornets can never get like just a simple <laughs> medical diagnosis for anything, which is a little bit frustrating. Um, but anyways, that's where we are now. It's great news for the Hornets. Um, Monk doesn't appear to be playing tonight. Again, I think Brian said it earlier, we're recording this on a Wednesday. So the Hornets play Golden State tonight at 1030. Doesn't look like he's playing tonight, but he's listed day to day by the team. So we don't know his status. I do not know his status. Moving forward for Summer League, if the Hornets continue to advance and play, it's possible he could play and be out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the risk far outweighs the yes. reward. You know, it remains to be seen. The Hornets have done it in the past. They did it with MKG. They did it with Nick Batum. Kind of put guys back out there when maybe they shouldn't. So it's in their history. But this is a new regime, too. Guys, thoughts? I mean, not a whole lot. I think that, I guess it's good that it's not broken. Uh, but again, on the same token, I wouldn't want to rush it back. As long as he can be back by training camp, I, I feel like I'm, I feel better about it. And he had a very exciting first game. Uh, against OKC so it's very promising to see him out there shooting explosive all all the stuff that you want to see out of Monk it's kind of weird you know listing him day to day uh, outside of the regular season so I don't really know what that means I guess if we keep advancing like you said I guess we could play him but I I, like you said it's not worth the risk Uh, I think it's good news that it's not broken uh, but on the same token please take your time and kind of healing that thumb yeah I totally agree with Richie uh, what you said there there's no need to rush him back. It would be really cool for Charlotte to go out and get the summer league championship, but I don't know if we need to go out and get that banner so we can hang it from the spectrum center. I don't, I don't think that's that big of a deal, but I guess the the lucky thing is this doesn't, the fortunate thing I should say is it doesn't cost Malik Monk six to eight weeks of off season training. And what is, you know, or at least, certain kinds of training that he would be able to skill sort of stuff that he'd be able, that he would be able to work on with that hand. Um, and so he gets back the six to eight weeks and that's way more important than winning a couple summer league games. So again, good, good secondary diagnosis from the guys back in Charlotte. It's encouraging. And it would be, I'd love to see him again in summer league, but not under if the constraint is he's hurt. Then like Spencer said, the the risk, I mean, come on, it's just not even close to being worth it. He played great in the first game, 23 points on 16 shots, a couple steals, a couple assists. But um, I hope the next time that I see him play a live game, it'll be preseason in, you know, October. Yeah, the last thing I would uh, I would add to that is you know, we don't know what the actual diagnosis is. The team did not say. Um, some folks, uh, at least one person that covers this team pretty closely, mentioned the word sprain, but the team has not told us anything in terms of a, mm-hmm. an official diagnosis. A sprain's probably a pretty good guess. Uh, the second thing is this would have been the second summer in a row Malik Monk, um, mm-hmm. if that six to eight week you know timetable held true, would have missed really important uh, repetition that he needed and potentially training camp, and that's not going to be the case. The fact that he's going to be able to get into training camp and he's going to be able to compete, which I think is going to be a very big part uh, of his offseason. Uh, you know, yeah, Summer League has a lot to do with that, but I think training camp in front of the coaches under their guidance uh, and, and literal coaching um, has even more to do with that. So the fact that he's going to be able to be healthy in training camp is really, I think, the most important aspect of this. All right, well, that's all we got on Monk. Great news for the Hornets. Um, Tony Parker is a Charlotte Hornet, which if you 
hold me, if you would have like handcuffed me and put me in a dark room and blindfolded me and then taking the blindfold off, had a gun in my head and be like, do you, if I told you Tony Parker is going to be a Charlotte Hornet um, in four weeks, a month ago, said, you have to say yes and believe this is true or else I'm shooting you in the head. You're like, nope, there's no way. Go ahead and shoot because there's no way that's true. And here we are. And San Antonio wanted him back. I mean, this is yeah. this is weird. Um, obviously, there's a connection. You know, Nick Batum, um, you know, his, his French uh, brethren, if you will, played national ball together for, for quite a while. Uh, James Borrego, obviously, Coach Tony. Uh, it was a part of that organization in San Antonio for a long time. So it's not like he's walking into a completely um, dark situation where he has no, knows nothing about it. But this is surprising, guys. It's real surprising. Um, skeleton uh, of the deal here real quick. It's a $10 million deal over two years. We still do not have the exact specifics of what uh, the second odd. year. It yeah. is odd. It is. There's yeah. only a few deals that have been signed in free agency, Parker being one of them. That we don't have the full details on yet. I, my assumption is it's 10 mil guaranteed, <clears throat> five million a year. That that's Thank probably you. what we're looking at. That's um, unfortunate it, for Charlotte, by the way, too. Yeah, it's a lot to sign up for for Charlotte. You know, I mean, like at least you didn't give him a player option or whatever. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. I I think that's a lot for Charlotte to uh, sign up for. But that's what we're gonna assume right now. Look, I think Parker's gonna be a come in and my. My benchmark for him, like best-case scenario, is him playing 65 games. If he can do that, I think he's going to be able to to obviously bring some very competent backup point guard minutes um, to this roster. And, look, his, his stats have obviously fallen off mm-hmm. here in the past few years. I mean, he's a much older guy now, 37, if I'm not mistaken. Um, 36, I don't know. He's, he's something around there. But... The Hornets have not had a backup point guard that can get out there and run the show in three seasons now. And I think if Tony Parker can stay healthy, which is a big if, he is going to be able to be that guy. So from that perspective, I really like it. The other perspective I like it from is just the fact that he brings some leadership. He brings a lot of knowledge. Um, There's some young guys on this roster that can really benefit from him. I think Devontae Graham being the, the best example. I think Malik Monk can learn a lot from him. Um, look, Tony Parker has... A little bit of a speck of history, okay, and we don't have to go into all that. But <laughs> when you when you talk about open court attitude and performance and just being a good teammate on the floor, uh, you can't tell me that Tony Parker hadn't been that. All right. So from that perspective, number two, I think this is a good thing for the Hornets. It's a little steep of a price. Yeah, um, I'll take it. Yeah, it's it's interesting because. The, the price is it was in the Hornets price range, right? Like Charlotte could have spent up to probably five and a half million if you're looking at just first year salary on this. So it's within that range. The only question is who was outbidding you for Tony Parker's services? Like why did you need to sign up to 10 million over two years on him? You know, if that second year is non-guaranteed though, this signing is it becomes far more palatable and it wouldn't be, you know, Tony Parker wouldn't be a bad trade ship prior to the deadline in February, in February, 2019, you know, if Charlotte needed to make a swing a trade or blow it up or et cetera, I mean, we're sort of in the weeds with that, but again, we'll see if that second year comes out as being, you know, a team option or, or non-guaranteed that is going to be important to find out. But as Spencer said before, then we just assume that he's, he's sort of locked into that number. Um, look, we all know over the last couple of years, backup point guards been a, it's been a, just a disaster for Charlotte. 
I think you could make a case in each of the last two seasons the Hornets had, if not the worst, and certainly one of the bottom three or four backup point guard situations the entire NBA. The last two seasons, 394 points with Kemba on the court in almost 5,500 minutes and minus 357 points in the 2,500 minutes with him off the court. Uh, They score right about one point per possession with him off the court and about 110 points per 100 possessions with him on the court. It's a huge, a huge, huge difference. Um, So they needed to do this. And I guess the one other thought you think of, or I was in my head, I was trying to think of, well, why would you want to give Tony Parker that second year outside of, oh, he's a veteran, he's earned it, et cetera. And it made me think of something we've discussed on this podcast before, which is for three years now with Jeremy Lin in 2015, then Ramon Sessions in 2016, Michael Carter-Williams in 2017, and now Tony Parker in 2018. Like every year, Charlotte over the last four summers has had to do some dumpster diving to find a backup point guard. And I think maybe they were saying, hey, we need a a summer. And I, I know there was a regime change in the front office, but look, we need a summer where we're not doing this, where we're not having to figure, where we don't know 12 months from now who our backup point guard is going to be. And with Tony Parker and Devontae Graham, perhaps you feel a little more uh, assuredness in that you're going to have at least somebody that's competent back there for that. And that, you know, in the summer of 2019, when you're trying to re-sign Kemba Walker, perhaps to a, an extension or a you know max extension or something close to that, that you're also not having to sort of like lock in a backup point guard but if that's the case, and, and again, I'm just that's just conjecture on my part. It's a pretty, it's I don't know, it's a pretty big uh, risk to take on for for that. But I'm I, that may not be at all why they wanted to give that second year to Parker. But that was just a thought that uh, came across my mind. No, I mean it makes sense. We've we've talked about it before on the podcast how it's been like these rentals, and then every year we have to find a new one. So we're kind of shoring that up in that second year I guess the one thing and you know Spencer said this is like it's not completely random there is some connection there between JB and Batum so if you were in that dark room Spencer uh with that gun to your head uh it wouldn't necessarily (laughs) surprise me but I guess it is going to be odd seeing him outside of a Spurs uniform but just to kind of talk about Parker as a player because you guys talked about all the uh the money aspect and stuff like that he's definitely not a player that's going to stretch the court by any means but He's an experienced player that you don't have to worry about operating an offense, the ins and outs of an offense. He's going to pick things up right away. Um, and obviously, having worked with James Borrego before, uh, it should be an easy transition in that aspect. And I guess his biggest strength is kind of driving and weaving to the basket. He does a good job of pump fakes, uh, getting people in the air. And he actually scored uh, or shot 60% within the restricted area last year, which I think is fairly good for for a player like him. But obviously... He is definitely fading as a player, and I wasn't extremely happy with this signing, especially with the the two years, five million apiece. But Brian, I guess to your point, you know, no one else was offering him that money. But if he did want to stay in San Antonio, maybe you had to offer him a little bit more. Maybe, possibly, I don't yeah, know. I, I don't know. I, I think I think that could have certainly like artificially inflated the price for him. Uh, a little bit too. I think if there were any source of competition, it was coming internally from the place where he's been right. the last 20 mm-hmm. years. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah. Go ahead, Brian. I was going to say, I mean, it was, it is interesting to have heard now both two other guards on the team. Malik Monk was, you know, pretty psyched. I don't know. You guys probably saw the video that they played of him finding out about the Tony Parker signing during the summer league game. And 
he was, you know, he was caught off guard and surprised, and he seemed genuinely excited. Same goes for Kemba Walker. So, I mean, look, there's there's a lot of stuff to be concerned with this about this Parker signing. Maybe the fact that at this point he's not even that useful a basketball player. And if you look at some of the other sort of like wonkier catch-all numbers like RPM or some of these other derivatives of it, he was he was not good last year. He was 90th. Uh, in ESPN's RPM amongst point guards, just behind Derrick Rose. But um, it, again, I think if it's part of a culture or if it's going to help out some of the younger guards you have on the roster, then I, I can see these sort of like intangible benefits that come along with it too. Yeah, well, I think that uh, I think that Parker, you know, very simply makes the game easier for guys around him. And you know, the Hornets haven't had a lot of things with their backup point guard role um here in the past few seasons but you know i i don't i don't look at the front office and, and blame them if this is five plus five ten guaranteed over two years yeah it's not ideal but you got to make some sacrifices when you're a small market like charlotte and to your point brian you know when you're <laughs> you're going up a guy you're going up against san antonio who's had tony parker for the entirety of his you know x amount of years career and he's won numerous titles there. Um, you know, frankly, it's not easy to pry him away from that situation, regardless of what the circumstances are there. Same coaches there, same management's there. I mean, you, you know, so it's not like this is just a dumpster fire of a situation that Charlotte rescued him from. Um, and I think they deserve some credit. Yeah, the flight, if the price is a little inflated, then it is what it is. But you look at where Charlotte has been with that position for the last few seasons, and now you talk about, albeit a very aged Tony Parker, it's a huge upgrade. It's a huge mm -hmm. upgrade. And it doesn't just have to do with on-the-court um, circumstances here. I mean, I mean, again, he, I, I do believe he's going to bring something to this locker room. I do believe he's going to mend Nick Batum, who was a very lost Nick Batum last season with his, yeah. I think his mentality is an engagement because mm -hmm. of a guy that, I think we should make it a rule that we'll no longer mention uh, on this show. We all knew who we're talking about, <laughs> but I think that, I mean, look, he is Nick Batum is a guy who's got a lot of money guaranteed for a number of years left in Charlotte and they really need him to be on board and engaged. And so maybe they paid a premium to kind of rescue that too. I mean, yeah. you got to look at all factors here, but at the end of the day, the biggest thing with Parker is that I think he is going to make the game easier especially offensively, really exclusively offensively for the guys off of Charlotte's bench. Uh, he's going to get into the lane. He's mm. going to draw defensive attention. He's still going to be able to make floaters and change uh, speeds real quick, get to the rim every now and then, uh, make that mid-range jump shot. But he's going to see the floor well. He's going to keep the ball moving. I think James Borrego ultimately went probably out on a limb and said, let's do this, and we got to pay a premium, let's do it, because he fits the vision for what I want to do offensively. And he's going to help us install these things mm -hmm. and get them in play quicker. So when it, you look at it from those angles, I think this kind of does make some sense. It would be nice to see on that second unit if he could help just create some easy shots for Malik Monk. Like, that's a big deal for me, too. And Parker, for whatever it's worth, still a high assist guy. Assist rate north of 28% last season in San Antonio, which is a great number. And one of the other things that I like about it, too, for the Hornets is it gives Charlotte another pick-and-roll ball handler that now you can say, well, Kemba's obviously one of the best pick-and-roll guards in the entire world. And now 
Tony Parker can run pick and roll. Jeremy Lamb can run pick and roll. Nick Batum can kind of run pick and roll. Tony Parker can run pick and roll. Devontae Graham, like it looks like he, and now all of a sudden, that's just five or six guys, including one guy that's elite at running pick and roll on the same roster. So it's nice to get a little um, creativity off the dribble that I think might be able to help the just improve the offense a little bit in Charlotte too. Yeah, I want to say half of his possessions came out of the pick and roll. Um, so that's going to be an easy transition for him. Are there any point guards out there that you thought that, okay, maybe we should have gone after then and instead of Tony Parker, whether it was at the $5 million per year or a little yeah. bit lower? Was there anyone that you yeah. thought, oh, man, I wish we went after that one? Shabazz. Yeah, yeah Shabazz. that was exactly. Shabazz Napier was the only other guy out there that I would have picked ahead of Tony would I have been given a choice? But mm-hmm. again, for all the reasons I just gave a second ago on my little rant, I do think that this signing makes sense in ways that Shabazz wouldn't Would, have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, totally. And, and for Charlotte, there's just so much uncertainty beyond this coming season uh, with the Kimball Walker situation that I think they just said, we want. We, we want a backup point guard, and we want a situation with this signing that we know exactly what we're getting. And, and you have that in Tony Parker. The only thing you don't have is the injury concern. But guess what? You kind of have that with everybody, right? Like, like, yes, he's a little bit older, but it's not like the guy's missed. He's never missed a full season. The past few years really have been his, his biggest issues with injuries, but he played at least 55 games. In, in every single season, even the last two of his entire career. So I think they wanted a sure thing here. And uh, as much as I'd like to have Shabazz, I just don't mind this. Yeah, the, the health thing doesn't worry me because you have, I mean, I, I know Malik Monk had plenty of struggles at point guard last season, but a guy that's played a fair amount of point guard minutes in the NBA, plus you had Devontae Graham, who, knock on wood, has looked good through three summer league games and is older than a normal rookie because he's, five years out of high school, like we talked about on the on the the buzzcast Monday night. So, you know, look, even if even if Parker, you know, is set to miss, you know, you can probably already lock him in to he's gonna sit out, you know, 20, 30 games or whatever. Or even if he did miss half the season, it's okay. Like they have depth on the roster. They have three point guards and they have Nick Batum who can facilitate and they have Malik Monk. And so they're not in bad shape in that because they have these other guys that can certainly for a night or two fill in and play those 10 to 14 minutes, or pardon me, like 12, 14, 15 minutes behind Kemba. Yeah. And that's a good point, BG. I mean, Borrego did say in an interview uh, just a few days ago that Kemba Walker would be a 33 to 34 minutes per night type of player, which is down from what he's been for this team. I mean, Clifford Mm -hmm. really, I don't think Clifford was Tom Thibodeau, by any stretch of the imagination with <laughs> with his minutes uh, distribution. But Kim was playing some pretty heavy minutes, yeah. and you can tell it's a priority to bring those down. So, you know, mm-hmm. bringing in a guy like Tony Parker that you just know what you're going to get, man. You can trust him, especially mm-hmm. if you've already coached him in your past. I think that makes you more comfortable. And, and great point about Devontae. He's looked awesome during Summer League. I really love his feel for the game. We'll talk about that more a little bit later in the show. Just uh, one, one last thing to sneak in, a question to both you guys real quickly. Um you know, I assume at some point we'll see Parker and Kemba play together. Do you like, I mean, defensively, that's probably risky, but do you like the thought of maybe getting Kemba off the ball a little bit with another creator out there? Does, does that interest you at all, or is that way too much of a risk in terms of size and defensive ability? 
Of course. Yeah. I mean, any Hornets fan that knows what the game of basketball even is, like, should be, you know, get excited about having a second ball handler on the floor, getting Kimba Walker off the ball. I, Richie, you talk about this all the time. Um, I, I just, it would have to be like extremely situational with Parker's yep. limitations defensively. Like, it would almost have to be like when the other team is <laughs> is going super small. Yeah. Is what you know? I just yeah. don't know how the Hornets unleash that look onto their opponent mm-hmm. because does that makes sense. Just because, no, like, but, I don't know, like Kimber Parker, like who guards the two? I guess Parker. But, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. 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 But you know, like around, I don't know. Just based on maybe, size. maybe the stable of wings make it more possible, though. BG, maybe it's a good point. Maybe it's a really good point you're making, right? Like, what if, what if Lamb's out there and Miles is out there, and you mm-hmm. know, MKG, you yeah. know, in in a power forward role, like maybe mm-hmm. you just you just send Parker to the corner, and you're like, we don't know who you're guarding. Whoever comes here and yeah. stands here for more than three <laughs> seconds, that's who you're guarding. Yeah. yeah, and you know what I mean, like. So maybe maybe this um, surplus of wings that the Hornets have rostered right now makes it look like that more possible. One thing we can know for sure is James Borrego is going to experiment with things like that. I, I think that for sure. Cool. All right, and now to the blockbuster trade. Hashtag Biz Nation <laughs> is back. <laughs> Rejoice. Rejoice forever. Biz is back in Charlotte. Um, so this – so let's see. The Tony Parker signing happened on Friday. On Saturday um, – Bismack Biombo was traded back to the Charlotte Hornets where he started his career. Um, only, I'll correct me, BG, if I'm wrong on this, only two seasons removed from signing his $17 million four-year contract. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. The course, it had to be the summer of 2016. Yep. Oh, of course. Yeah, what was I even thinking? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Memorialize that somehow. Um, so so Bismack Biombo coming to Charlotte, um, not on his rookie deal anymore. Uh, a pretty uh, fascinating signing in the summer of uh, 16 when Orlando did give him four years, $17 million per season. I think that was flat over four years. I think it was 17 every year. Yeah, yes, correct. Yeah. yeah. So uh-huh. um, so he's coming back. So the basic mechanics of the deal from a Hornets perspective is that we traded uh, Timothy Mozgov, who made about, let's see, Mozgov made a million less yeah. than biz this coming season and it's like 400 K and change um, for 1920. So the Hornets take on a little bit more money here, but not enough to matter. They're still comfortably under the tax line. Um, the rest of this trade, we can talk about it real quickly. Jerry and Grant is going from Chicago to Orlando. They need, I mean, any three of us could play backup point guard in Orlando until this trade. So they needed one really, really badly. They got one in Grant. Um, and then Julian Stone to kind of make this uh, de- this whole deal possible went to Orlando. His non guaranteed contract. Orlando's expected to waive him, or excuse me, going to Chicago. Julian Stone is Chicago's mm-hmm. expected to waive him. And, and you know what? That's kind of good for Chicago. I mean, they just had to bite hard and, and match the offer sheet on Zach Levine. So now they get off some money here, uh, albeit not much. They get off a little bit. And I think that matters because they still want to take on bad salary next season, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so. Yeah, Bismack is back. I, I mean, you, you know, here's what I would say about it. <laughs> probably couldn't play real NBA minutes, or at yeah. least there's evidence to suggest that he can anymore. He might be able to. Bismack Biombo can. 
And if you're talking about taking on an extra million dollars this season, which, again, doesn't matter under the tax line, and just some change next season, probably also not going to matter. It's a little bit more important with the Kimball Walker potential resigning, but it's really not a factor at this point. Yeah, I'll take the guy that can play, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> I'll take yeah. the guy that you can put into our depth chart and actually expect to get minutes from him. Um, we talked about this in the bus cast on Monday night when talking about Hernan Gomez. Like, Hernan Gomez offensively um, focused center. Cody Zeller, obviously the, the more uh, two-pronged approach, most versatile uh, player we have at that position. And then Biz is your defensive specialist. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously extremely limited offensively, but I, I really like the change of pace he's going to give the Hornets uh, depth chart at that position. You need a rim protector, and until him, they didn't have one. So, you know, I, I do think he can play a role in Charlotte. I really do. Um, he's 25 years old now. We don't have him as a baby deer anymore, which we did in our first stint. Um, yeah, so I, I just don't hate the trade for Charlotte. It doesn't make, like, a ton of sense. It doesn't blow you away, but I don't know really what they had to lose. Nothing, nothing. I, I don't think, uh, you know, you can look at this trade and see that it was a loss by any means. Sure, he's overpaid, but so was Timothy Mozgov. So, you know, make it a little bit more than him, but he's way more playable in my eyes and better suited for – uh, today's NBA in the way that um, you know he can set picks. He's a little bit more mobile than than Timothy Mozgov, and then like you said, he he's a rim protector. He averages probably about one and a half blocks per game. Um, clearly on offense, uh, we saw you know in his time here in Charlotte, uh, definitely not a factor. Um, he definitely has hands of steel. You pass in the ball, he will drop it uh, five times out of ten. So that's that's kind of hit or miss there. Um, I guess I'm intrigued to see him play uh, with the second unit some, but you're probably going to have to surround him uh, with shooters. You know, maybe have a lineup of not not necessarily the second unit, but maybe have like Kemba, Monk, uh, like a Miles Bridges, Marvin, and then put him back there. And then he's basically your non-factor on offense, but he's also your rim protector on defense. So he might not play significant minutes, but the battle between him and Hernan Gomez is going to be interesting. I think I would give the edge to Hernan Gomez right now, but you know, you always need that rim protector especially considering a lot of our perimeter players are not the best defenders. Yeah, the, I agree with both of you guys. And look, Biz, Biz was not very good this last season in Orlando, which was a dumpster fire. But even if you look at some of the like numbers that are adjusting for, for teammates and opponents and stuff like that, Biz did not rate great in Orlando. But we'll see how he does in, in a smaller role in Charlotte with better teammates around him. You know, he'll likely in a system that's perhaps better suited for him than Orlando's, which sort of wanted, you know, a better for a guy like Vucevic that's going to step away and shoot threes and stuff like that. But like Richie said, good rim protector, uh, block rate of 3.2% last year, pretty good. Um, really good rebounder, defensive, uh, you know, high, high offensive and defensive rebound rates, which you like to see. Um, and so that's a, that's certainly at least one thing that he brings to the table. Opponents shot only 57% against him on attempts to defend at the rim, which is good. Not, I mean, it's not, that's not great, but that's, that's not bad for biz. So, um, you know, it is, it is a little amazing to see him come back on a deal where you're getting him not, you know, like in a salary dump or, but in, in a deal where you think he's going to perhaps help your roster next season. I would say at this point, Aaron Gomez is overall a better player, but because he does have those gaps in his defense, that certainly leaves, and, and Cody's health creates, you know, other variables and other problems at the top of the rotation too. I guess the only sort of like opportunity cost would have been in 
this is maybe I, I don't want to get into a whole other tangent here, but you know, this is something that uh, you know Zach Lowe brought up in his column today on free agency of you know could, could Charlotte have done with with Dwight Howard this this wave and buyout that Brooklyn just did uh, where he ended up at, at Washington. Um, you know, my only thing with this is I don't have Charlotte's books in front of me right at the second, but if the constraint was to get under the tax for this season, I'm not sure there's a way they could have found that out with like waving, you know, buying Dwight out and then filling out the roster. Like, I'm not sure there's a way they could have, they could have worked that out, um, you know, without stretching him or something like that. And again, if that's the constraint, well then, you know, they had to go along with the, the Moscow trade and it should be noted that they ended up netting what four second round picks and getting bit cash back from Brooklyn too. Yeah, yeah. So and and Devontae Grant. Yeah, yeah Devontae exactly. Graham's a Hornet because of that trade. Totally. So it's not a zero sum thing, which was the that column today look Lowe's the best, without a doubt. But that, that column today was sort of looking at things the zero sum black white game and it, yeah. There's there's more to it. There's there's more to it than that. And again, the, the main one being the constraint was they need to get under the tax for this season and fill out the roster. And if hey that if that that's how they want to run a business that's how they were choosing to run this business that's within their rights to do that and if that's the case then then yeah they had to find a way to to clear out a little salary for this year and the Dwight Mozgov swap worked for that so um, but yeah it, it is it is sort of amazing that at the end of all of this in the last twelve months the Hornets have had Miles Plumley on the roster Dwight Howard on the roster. Bismack Biombo and Timothy Mozgov have all been on the roster at some point. Um, and this is something you guys, I tweeted this out last weekend, but those guys, the summer of 2016, I mean, it's amazing to see that, you know, Clint Capella, you know, he can't squeeze $60 million out of the Rockets right now. Um, yeah. Those guys signed for over a quarter of a billion dollars combined in the summer of 2016, which is just, it's sort of insane. So, um, anyways, I'll, I'll, I'll tie a bow on my, my biz piece there. Uh, it'll be fun to have him back and uh, I don't know how much he's going to help the team win, but you can certainly see this, like discrete skill set of shot blocker rebound machine that he brings to the lineup that could be useful. Yeah. To react real quickly to, it was well said at BG, um, the national media, number one, they're not, <laughs> they're not going to give Charlotte credit on anything. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with frustration that they can't get a lot out of Charlotte. Mm. Um, it's certainly a frustration of Zach Lowe's. It's pretty obvious he's not a big <laughs> Charlotte guy. Um, the only way I can kind of understand what he's saying, and probably, and I haven't read his column yet, and probably three sentences that he talked about the Hornets, is that, yeah, you take on that $17 million cap hit next season with Biz yeah. or whatever, you know, that 16-point whatever number it would have been with Mozgov by doing the trade instead of – waving and stretching Dwight but as we just mentioned you netted all these second round picks you got Devontae Graham who who looks like an NBA player uh, by all accounts so far um again you have those picks in the cupboard and now you have a, a Bismack Biombo player that um is going to be able to, to I think at least be a service a serviceable center at that position um this season and as you said Brian the mandate was at least as we're guessing Mm-hmm. We got to get under the tax, and we got to compete this year. We're not. We're we're looking at this shit thing short term. Mm-hmm. We'll figure out how we're creating the space to fit Kemba, you know, in under the tax, and we're not going to pay it next season. We'll figure that out later. And if you look at the constraints that that Mitch Kupchak was given, yeah, I mean, what, what else could you ask of him? Like, yeah, seriously, what else could you ask? So, 
you know, we're, they're not going to get credit, and that's fine. And I don't stick up for the Charlotte front office a lot, but yeah. I think this is a pretty good job. I think this is a job well done. I really do. Uh, what they've done has been creative. They've thought outside the box. Um, and guess what? They still have an $8 million trade exception. Yeah. They can also true. use. Yeah, that's true. They created uh, with, with the that's trade. True. So it, it's not it's not completely barren here. What's good, y'all? This is your boy, Justin, a.k.a. Just Blaze, host of Above the Rim. And if you want a raw take on the NBA, Above the Rim is a show for you. With dope beats and entertaining guests each week, we offer a great new insight on all things NBA. You don't want to miss it. Find it on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and the Almighty Baller Network. So the Hornets now are at about 120 million point, almost three. So yeah, let's call it 120.3 million in total mm. salary right now. That leaves them about 3.4 million under the tax line. So in theory, you know, this team can still add um, a veteran minimum comfortably under that tax line if they wanted to get the roster into 15 guys. And, you know, I think that a power forward is probably the obvious mm. need right now for this roster. Um I guess at this point I'd be surprised if they did it, but they could. VG, any names that, that you've looked at? Just to and so that's one other thing I'll say too. The fact that they have Bismack as opposed to Mozgov now makes me think that they're more comfortable with going into the season with 14 guys, right? Because if you're if you're going into the season with 14 guys and you're counting Mozgov as one of those guys. 13. You're expect, exactly. It's effectively 13 players. So this changes it. You have 14 guys that should be able to play for you every night. Plus, you've got McCurr on a two-way deal. He's played pretty well in summer league, and you've still got another two-way spot you can fill out, too. Um, in terms of names that are available, in terms of, and again, it's it's slim pickings when you're looking <laughs> for, at, at this point in free agency, guys that are veterans that would sign for a minimum contract that, that play, you know, these sort of like hybrid four positions. Um, but some guys that also probably have a little bit of value, um, overall, I bet they probably come to like being net neutral or slightly, you know, slightly negative, but, uh, guys like Trevor Booker, who was from close to Charlotte played at Clemson, uh, I think is a guy that would be a possibility. I think another guy would be Dante Cunningham. Um, another guy shot 35% on threes last year plays, guarded the three through the five for a couple different teams last year. But that's, there probably are a few other names. Uh, some of the guys that I dug up, I mean, like you're not gonna be able to afford Montrez Harrell. I, I doubt it. Um, you know, David West is more of a five at this point. Greg Monroe, more of a five at this point. Nigel Hayes, perhaps James Michael McAdoo. But, uh, but I mean, like it, again, it, the, the, the pickings are veteran guys that could be had at this price level. Yeah, the one player that you mentioned that uh, someone interested in is Dante Cunningham. When I know he had some off the court issues at one point when he was with Charlotte, but yeah. uh, he can still stretch, yeah. the, you know, stretch the floor a little bit, mid thirties shooter from behind the arc. But now that you mentioned that about you know picking up Biz instead of Mozgov, I hadn't thought about it that way. But you know now we technically have fourteen players instead of thirteen, so I don't expect them to use it. Um, and who mm -hmm. knows, maybe there's another trade that comes later, like a one for two, possibly leaving that, that roster spot open, but maybe Dante Cunningham, I'd be somewhat okay with. Yeah. yeah. I, think, I think overall, none of these guys would like, you know, improve Charlotte's, you know, expected win total for the season. Yeah. I think that, um, I think they'll probably, 
not use any more of that um, money under the tax line to to take on a player. I think the best possible, the highest probability that they add actually a fifteenth player right now is with that trade exception because that that trade exception, whatever that money is you're taking in, doesn't count against your cap. So they they at least alleviate themselves um, of that stress, being a little bit closer to the tax line. Um, so that's how I would guess if they utilize that last spot, um, that they would do it. And Mitch Kupchak is, he's actually talked about using that trade exception. So, and they can, you know, Charlotte can do that throughout, you know, up through the trade deadline, um, next season. So I keep an eye on that. Good names. I like the Trevor Booker name, BG. That's, that's kind of intriguing. Like, like his game, spark Mm -hmm. plug off the bench. Um, all right. Well, let's, let's move on, uh, and talk about Michael K. Gilchrist. Um, a, a player that um, <laughs> has not been mentioned, I guess is the simplest way to put it, um, by anybody, as I said earlier, that's been put in front of a microphone, um, being a Hornets coach, Mitch Kupchak, anybody. I, I just haven't heard that name. And I think Hornets fans have started to take note of that and started to say, hey, is this guy, is he part of our future? I think it's totally fair to to kind of dissect this and say i just don't think he's part of the plan for borrego and this new regime um real quickly as a reminder kick gilchrist owed 13 million dollars this season uh, and he's got a player option for next season he's one of three players on the hornets roster with a player option next season um bismack marvin williams uh yes they will both <laughs> opt into those um you know, MKG maybe the one guy that the doors barely cracked on the idea that he would possibly opt out. That would require him really having a strong season. Number one, uh, and number you know, number two, I, I, will he even be on the Hornets when he has to make that decision? <laughs> and that's really why I think we need to have this conversation right now. Um, it would probably be easy to move MKG to one of those cap space teams. Or even somebody else that thought they could utilize him if this if this was an expiring deal. But with the two remaining, uh, it just drives up the price on making that trade. And and I'm sure not something Charlotte's realistically looking at right now because they're just they're gonna have to attach something to it that's too much. Thoughts, Richie, on MKG and kind of where you see his future with the Hornets going. Yeah, well, another name that I feel like has not been mentioned a lot by the coaching staff, um, unless I've missed something, uh, is Frank Kaminsky as well. But he's going to be easier to get rid of next year because he doesn't have that player option. But, yeah, MKG, it's interesting. From a business perspective, um, especially if you're looking into next season in the summer of 19 in terms of trying to re-sign Kemba, he makes it a little bit more difficult in the sense that I feel like he will pick up that player option of, of the $13 million. I think that you can almost guarantee that he's going to pick that up and he's going to be on our roster next year unless you trade him. So from a business perspective, I think it makes sense to get rid of him. I'm not sure what his value is. We've talked about this before. Uh, I doubt you can even get a late first rounder for this kid, but I don't know. Possibly? I don't know. Maybe maybe get more second rounders. That seems to be our deal anyway. But on the on-court aspect, I would love to keep him around. Um, I think that he offers a lot of things that we are missing. Perimeter defense. Uh, we don't have a lot of that. And uh, I know that probably I'm too much of a, a lover of MKG about his defense, but I do think that while not elite, he's definitely a very good defender on the perimeter. Uh, he's a hustler. He gets up and down the court in the, in the transition game. 
Uh, he may not be suited to be a stretch four because he, he literally can't stretch the floor, but I don't know. I, I would It would be tough to see him go, but from a business perspective, I would understand it. Yeah, I, I think all of us are, are big fans of this guy. He, he plays really hard. He, he, see, he certainly, you know, I think even a, a couple of years ago, you would have even called him certainly one of the leaders of the team. I mean, it feels like Kemba has sort of taken that mantle all on his own uh, the last the last couple of years. I'm intrigued by Michael K. Gilchrist in a different role. This is something that, as Richie, you sort of alluded to, we talked about a lot on this podcast, and we, I think we've even going back to last season, like there's a role for Michael K. Gilchrist in the NBA. It's just you can't use him in the way that you would 99% of the other small forwards in the NBA, right? Like he's, he isn't that. you got to use him as a, a, a dive guy, a screen setter, um, he's got to be, when you play four out, he's got to be the one guy in the middle. It can't be four around the perimeter with Michael Gilchrist, two big steps inside the three-point line, clogging up all your space, making it really easy to trap, pick, and roll with Kemba. He's got to be used in a more dynamic sense. Um, and something, this was something, Richie, you and I were texting about this over the, this past weekend. And this was something you proposed. And I, I sort of liked it. But Marvin being the backup power forward, I don't think we're going to see this, but Marvin being the backup power forward, and starting MKG as your as your de facto starting power forward. Marvin's your bench shooter, and then with Kemba and Batum, and then you know one other wing, whether it be Jeremy Lamb and maybe one is bench scoring off the bench. So this is this is moot already. But I sort of like that combination a little bit, and, and making that way he's you know he's his his the lack of his perimeter shooting is less costly. In terms of Michael Kogokris as a trade asset, I just I'm clueless as to what his value is. A six seven wing that just simply can't shoot and is a really good defender, but is not Andre Roberson, and he's not the like the sort of like veteran playmaker that Sean Livingston is, and Livingston's sort of this like perfect role player for what Golden State's doing at this very second. So that's they, these are big these are just outliers, and especially Livingston. And so I'm not even sure at this point if MKG, and this sort of pains me a little bit to say this, because I think he's a good player. I don't know if he's even a plus asset at this point. Like the thought yeah, of, I don't I, think so. I just I think if if you're trading Michael K. Gilchrist, you're you're attaching stuff for other people to take him. Yeah. Uh, in that that stinks. That it's like not fun to think about, but because he's the he's the number two pick not that long ago, and he's still just 25. Um, and again, he's a good defender. But yeah, I just because of that, you know, like Spencer, like you're saying, like he'd be a guy that you you find a team that has salary cap space, and you say, well, take him and two second round picks, and that's another chapter of Charlotte Bobcats, Charlotte Hornets history that would end like that, you know? Yeah, yeah, and and what you just said is ultimately why I think the Hornets ride this thing out with him, and when the contract ends in the in the summer of 2020. You know, you high five MKG and say, "Hey, man, you got a rookie extension. We saw this thing out to the end. We mm-hmm. tried our damnedest. Didn't work out. You know, it didn't work out, and that's okay. But at this point, why would you let a player that has number one the, the defensive upside that you guys have laid out and we all know about, and number two in a different role, BG, as you brought up? I mean, just as we get ready for the season, just just everyone should do this exercise." Think about Michael K. Gilchrist playing four for Charlotte. And then you can think about any lineup you want, any mixture of players you want. But just if you have that idea in your mind, now 
things will come to you as, okay, well, this makes sense. Well, this makes mm-hmm. sense. He can do all these things. Well, he can play with this guy, right? Like, mm-hmm. he still has a role, and he, a very useful one, but VG laid it out perfectly. He can't play small forward. Um, look at a guy like Willie Hernan Gomez and the way he's been shooting the triple in summer league. Is that going to be a real part of his game? Is that going to translate to his minutes with the Hornets and in the NBA? Well, if it does, then perfect. MKG is perfect to play mm-hmm. around a center like Hernan Gomez. And then mm-hmm. let's match the rest of your pieces out there. It's fine. But this is one of the reasons that James Brego was hired, because he he comes from a San Antonio system that thinks very outside of the box, offensively and defensively. The ball's going to move a lot. It's going to it's gonna drive up the, the importance of screen setting and offensive rebounding and cutting and moving and never standing and occupying every inch of space. Well, that sounds like a system that Michael K. Gilchrist can play in. Mm-hmm. Um, but it has to be around the right combination of players. Yes, I think you have to attach something to get off a player with his limit, you know, his limitations at an eight-figure salary over two seasons. Um, so I would just ride it out with MKG. I would extract what you can out of him. Say he breaks out in the next two seasons. We don't know. Yeah. Um, I certainly haven't given up hope on MKG. But I still think he does serve a role in this league, and I think he can serve a role in Charlotte. And I just wouldn't be looking to move him um, in, until at least next year when you're like, all right, we're going full in on Kimba. we got to cut some salary to make this possible, and then mm-hmm. we can have a different conversation. But why, why you would even entertaining the idea of trading him now to part ways with assets when you can use him just makes little sense. Well, especially considering the direction that we're in. If we're trying to win now, I don't see why he couldn't help us win now. If you're thinking, it's, it's to me, it sounds like we're going to deal with next summer, next summer. Like it, do, it doesn't even seem like we're addressing next summer until we actually get there. Because as of now, exactly. he is gonna, he's going to complicate that when he is when he does pick up that player option. So I agree, Spencer. Um, I would love to keep him on this team. I just don't know. It just seems odd. Like you said, we're not talking about it, or at least the, the coaching staff is not. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep, exactly. And, and I think this whole idea of not worrying about next summer until next summer, at least until we get closer to there, I think that is true with Kimball Walker and his contract situation. I think it's true with the front office and kind of how they're approaching this. I mean, I think – every move that we've seen the Hornets make this summer has been evidence to that, right? Like let's approach this season first, try to maximize the potential of what we can get out of this roster, try to make the playoffs. And if this thing goes right, then we'll figure out the rest when that bridge comes, you know, I mean, I don't know how you could look at it any other way. And it's not good to have a short term approach like that at all times, but I think we've addressed all the different uh, reasons why it makes, if you think hard, <laughs> it makes a little bit of sense for this team as currently constructed in, this, in, in the salary cap situation they're in. The, the only other thing, too, this is slightly, slightly in a different direction, but still very specific to MKG. It's just one of those things that there is the opportunity cost of keeping him on the roster, and he's, by all counts, he seems like, a, like I don't think this guy is anywhere close to being a locker room cancer. If anything, he's the exact opposite. He's a very positive influence in Charlotte's culture, what they're trying to build, even though the silence has sort of been deafening with the the lack of mention with him in quotes coming from Mitch Kupchak, James Brago, et cetera. But that's a preface to say the other opportunity cost is if you're playing Michael K. Gilchrist, that's less time for guys like Dwayne Bacon, 
that's maybe less time. And look, I mean, I think Miles Bridges is going to get his time no matter what. Like you used a lottery pick on this guy, you invested in him. You're gonna you're gonna try to make this thing work. But there is, the, I do think there is a little bit of a real cost because it, then it does become well. If we're not gonna, if if Charlotte's not gonna resign this guy in 2020, then and I mean that's also the same summer that Dwayne Bacon's contract comes up. That'll be heading into year three of 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 Miles Bridges. Like then, whose career are you playing for? Do you know what I mean? But because they are, and again, we talked about this with regards to the the Dwight trade. Like if the if one of the constraints heading into the season is win now, then then yeah, MKG probably moves the needle, makes you a little bit better defensively. But in terms of minute allocation and the rotation stuff like that, there is some of an opportunity cost there as well. I, and I agree with that. I mean, I. I... What you're saying makes complete sense, and I think it's the logical approach to take with expecting his minutes to come down, right? Like, just yeah. with simply adding Miles Bridges, all of a sudden, like, yes, the minutes allocation uh, for, for Michael K. Gilchrist and where he fits, it, it's going to decrease. Like, that's mm-hmm. kind of inevitable. Um, but to your point about opportunity costs, like, my, you know, my point was, like, I just don't, like, for keeping him around and just letting him walk in the summer of 2020, like, what is the opportunity cost for that uh, opposed to trying to ship him off and, and then attach some asset to it? I mean, I just, I don't, I don't get it. I know the cap number is not ideal, but if you're, you know, if you're doing business the way the Hornets have this summer anyways, kind of not adding a ton of salary, but not being too concerned in, in, in getting off of it, unless it has to do with the tax line, then why would you, why would you be worried about moving him? Totally. Um, and like the opportunity so, cost might is probably like minus a couple draft picks. Yeah. So like not no problem to want to avoid that. You know what I mean? Like you don't you, you probably don't want to give away draft picks. Right. And and I would say that to to your point, BG, like, yeah, it is important playing those younger guys and you, you know, Miles, I, I think they're gonna try to throw him into the fire to whatever extent is possible right away. But if you're talking about winning now, and I think you pretty much said this, but Who's a better player? Who would you rather have out there, MKG or Miles Bridges? I'd rather have MKG out there. You know what I mean? So, so it, you know, it, it's like two different arguments, and, and it, I think it's a healthy one to have because the Hornets are kind of trying to do two things at once. We've talked about that. I mean, I think that was literally the name of our ep- episode uh, yeah. <laughs> a few episodes back. But um, I just think you got to fit him in somewhere, man. I, I know this is a change of regime, but. He adds too much value to just to just kick the can down the road on MKG and give up. And I, I think the thing is, if your ultimate goal is trying to get Kimba back next year, um, he's always stated that he's loved Charlotte. Like that's never been an issue with him. But it's he's also mm-hmm. stated that he wants to win. So if you're trying to go all in this year, especially in a weakened East, uh, maybe kind of give him some hope this year. Maybe holding on to MKG is the way to go. Yeah, and I would bring up one last thing on MKG. Um, we actually saw this happen this summer uh, with Thaddeus Young. You know, who says, I mean, and next summer is going to be unpredictable because a lot of teams are going to have cap space. Um, the cap's going to spike a little bit again. It's going to be a different environment. But who's to say Kid Gilchrist, because he loves it in Charlotte, he's not like a boisterous personality. I don't think he's rushing to get out of Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Um, who's to say he's not? He won't decline his player option as a little wink, wink, and then the Hornets give him something at a much lower number over two or three or maybe even four seasons. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think that's something to keep in mind too, to make it possible, to make it more possible to resign Kimball Walker is kind of what I'm getting at. 
One more thing on MKG before we move on and talk a little bit about summer summer league. Um, have have you guys noticed? Do I would be curious to see what your perception of this was. It feels like in summer league the Hornets are trying out some switching on defense, especially with with Bridges and, and Bacon, some of those wing combinations. But I think you know once we get to the regular season, the normal rotations in place for Charlotte does a defense that's going to switch more heavily. If we think that James Borrego's going to implement a system that, that incorporates that, does that make Michael Kidd Gilchrist a more valuable player to your roster? Because without a doubt, he's your most versatile defender. I mean, he's the guy that can, on paper, he should be able to guard one through fours and maybe even some stretch fives. And he, without a doubt, unless Bridges eventually gets to this place, like he's your best suited defender to operate in a system that uses switches more heavily. So I wonder if that overall will help MKG uh, be an impact player for the Hornets this year. My only concern would be, too, would be, you know, if that were the case, wouldn't we have heard the coaching staff mention that at some point this offseason, too? But I don't know. What do you guys think about MKG getting to, you know, sort of guard more positions to be a more active switch defender this year? Phenomenal point. I mean, it's... It's so important to discuss this when talking about how MKG fits in with this new regime. And, and BG, you're right. I mean, Summer League, yes, these guys like hardly have practiced any together before you roll the balls out and, mm. and, and they tip it off in Summer League. But they clearly have been experimenting with some switching, especially with the wings, like you said. Look, our biggest concern or, or biggest frustration with MKG in, in the defensive style under Steve Clifford in past seasons has been he's the most – switch averse coach really or at least one of them in the entire league and that was yeah. really frustrating when, when you look at a player like mkg and how he's used defensively um it, just how effective he could have been just helping keeping the ball in front by just switching uh instead he had to close out on shooters all over the floor uh he, he always had to feel like he had to have a foot in the paint be in help um be in passing lanes guard the ball, fight over screens, clean up Dwight Howard's dirty well, – whoops, I said his name. I said earlier in the episode <laughs> I wouldn't, but there I, there I went. Um, you know, he had to do all these things, which in the NBA, as high of a level as basketball is played, their offenses are just – number one, they're way too creative and smart. Number two, these guys are way too skilled. MKG has been, like, programmed to, to, to be this defender who's just all over the floor and trying to do everything. That's a ridiculous – expectation um and i'm not saying that was the expectation necessarily for steve clifford and the coaching staff but it, it was very clearly mkg's expectation of himself and i think that has to end it's got to end like he just needs to be a part of the team defense and he just needs to um be the know that he's the best guy out there but if you're switching more and now you're talking about that guy helping keep the ball in front more often switch on to bigs Stay in front of the ball in the one to three, um, you know, style of, of pick and rolls and plays, and then on like pin downs and staggers, yep. just have that guy just chest to chest with the shooter as soon as he comes off or switching. Everybody's neutral, right? Like it's not a hard concept, and I do think Borrego will experiment with it more. Certainly, something San Antonio uh, has unleashed in, in seasons under Popovich. So, and all of a sudden, like Brian, I'm so happy you brought this up because what if all of a sudden? That's what the Hornets start doing more of under Borrego. And now MKG is like, now we're looking at this whole new world for him. 
as a player and his value. You know what I mean? Like now he's able to get into passing lanes more often. Now he's more of a steals guy. Um, now he has a little bit more uh, freedom to be a blocks guy. You know, maybe mm-hmm. this is how you unlock his ultimate defensive potential. Yes, that's a wishful thought, but it seems maddening to continue down the path of what his role was defensively with the new head coach. So I think it's a good point. Great point. And, um, you know, I think that he is a very versatile defender. Like you said, probably the most versatile defender on this team. I guess you got Marvin, uh, but he's getting up there in age. And I guess one last thing that I'll add, I think that, I mean, it was Clifford's system. I'll I'll say that for a fact. I I can't stand it. I'm excited that we're going to be, you know, under JB, and I feel like he will use that switching defense a lot. But I will say that the fact that we had uh, Dwight, and Mozgov potentially can't run that as often unless it was a 1-4. Uh, so getting Diombo yeah. there, getting Cody Zeller uh, and Hernan Gomez, who mm. is not necessarily a great defender, but I feel like he has the ability to switch. So it, it could be one of those things where you switch 1-4, through four, but uh, if you have the ability to switch 1-5, through five, that makes things a little bit easier in communication. So I, th- I think I'm excited about the fact that we will be able to switch a little bit more often. I just think by default, but MKG's value definitely is probably the highest on the team when it comes to someone who is able to switch across multiple positions. Mm-hmm. All right, let's, um, let's transition and, and wrap this episode with um, some summer league thoughts. Again, the Hornets will start, um, I guess you call it the, the bracket play, the tournament play tonight, um, 1030 against Golden State. You know, if you missed our buzzcast that we did after Monday night's game, please go check that out because we're going to probably regurgitate a lot of what we said then here in the last segment. I'll just kick it off real quick. Quick observations. Super impressed with Devontae Graham. Um, Definitely think he can play competent minutes as a rookie. Um, The Hornets kind of reassured the fan base and uh, and nailed it home how much they believe in him with this three-year deal. They used part of their mid-level exception. Um, to get him on that three-year deal as a rookie, and therefore will will have his full bird rights um, after he comes off the books in 2021 or whatever that is. So you know they obviously very, they really believe in what his potential is. Um, Devontae's 23 years old, I think that's right. So he's he's older. You expect him to come in and play right away. He just has such a good feel for the game. Um, you watch him play, and he's not an incredible athlete, but he competes on both ends, and he's just his IQ, you watch him play and you're like, okay, he, he's a step ahead of most guys out there on the floor, if not all guys out there on the floor in summer league. And, you know, I said this the other night in the buzzcast, but he's really surprised me with how good of a passer he is. I knew he had a great feel for the game. I didn't know that he's almost come off as like a pass first guy in summer league. And I underestimated that aspect of his game. Um, and it makes me that much more excited uh, of the prospects of him being able to play point guard for a long time in the NBA. Uh, and then the last thing I would say about him is defensively. I mean, he really competes on that end. He has a lot of limitations, uh, gets hung up on ball screens, not regularly, but as much as you would expect with, with his physique and, and, and lack of athleticism. But he really competes. He'll get up and guard the ball tightly. Um, he's in help. He's always in the right position. So, you know, and, and just his, his vision, man. When he gets the outlet pass and he looks up the floor, he, he gets that thing out of his hands quick, whether it's just an outlet pass vertically straight up the floor or he's hitting a runner uh, right down in the middle, and he puts that thing on a dime like a quarterback. So he just mm-hmm. got – he has a lot of really, really, really impressive intangibles as a player that I'm excited about uh, for Charlotte. So um, I just wanted to gush about Devontae mm-hmm. for a minute if you guys have anything to add. 
I mean, I mean, not to rehash too much of our buzzcast last uh, the couple nights ago, but yeah, I mean, I think that he is very seasoned for someone that's a second round pick, and I know we discussed the fact that he is five years removed from high school, so he does have yeah. a whole lot of experience under his belt, but. Simply, he's a rookie, but he doesn't look like a rookie out there. He's definitely top to bottom. If you look at our first three preliminary games, he probably has looked to be our best rookie over Miles Bridges. Now, it's not the end all be all, but yeah, but yeah, Devontae Graham definitely is someone who's under control in that point guard position. And to your point, Spencer, I really, really love pass first point guards. Yeah, the so he had six turnovers in the third game. The the loss against in in the yeah the third game the loss against Boston. But so far, first three games of summer league, 18 assists to seven turnovers, pretty darn good. We had a 12 to one assist to turnover ratio in those first two games. I think he's done an awesome job getting to the rim. Now I've been even been impressed with his ability to sort of do that Steve Nash, where he uses even saw Shea Gilgis Alexander do this with at Kentucky when we were going through draft prep this year, but using the right hand to finish on the left side of the glass and using the rim to shield off for potential shot blockers. Uh, look, he's going to struggle some at the rim because he's not he's not super big, and he hasn't really found his three pointer yet in summer league. Uh, he shot pretty poor from out there, but he's but they just it, it's on a small number of attempts. They just haven't gone in. I love his mid range shot when he gets space. You know he can get that off, and the fact that he's getting to the rim and he's done it against some good players like Trevor Ferguson, who's an NBA rotation player and is longer and much taller, more taller than Devonte Graham. I think all that's really impressive and again he just he looks like he belongs and I've been not only do I think I agree with Richie that I think he's been not not only do I think I agree with Richie that he's been the best rookie so far for the Hornets in summer league but also he's exceeded my expectations the most that you know Mm -hmm. I, I just I've been really I've been really impressed with him and you know looking forward to again I think you know we'll see how much time he'll split between Greensboro and Charlotte this year but I think Hornets fans should be pretty excited that this team was able to nail this guy's bird rights and get him on that third year and use part of the mid-level exception to, to sign him after drafting him, trading up and drafting him in the second round. Hey, speaking of Devontae, did you guys see this news that just came through? Yep, I was just getting ready to mention that. Go ahead, Spencer. Um, yeah, I'm not... Richie, you'll be better at, at uh, probably pronouncing the uh, <laughs> diagnosis, but... Uh, Devontae Graham suffered a oh, – uh, why don't you try to say it, Richie? Uh, let's just say an injury to the right knee. Yeah, right knee. So I, I just Googled this injury, and it looks like basically what – again, I'm Googling here, so don't take this to the bank. But it looks like it has to do with damage to the cartilage that covers you know, basically your bone between the bone and the muscle. So um, – Anyways, he's out for the remainder of summer league and will be out indefinitely. Oh, wow. Jesus. The timing of this is unbelievable. I mean, you just can't make this stuff up with a horse. Unbelievable. Now, it does say he suffered this injury, but if there's dan yeah, if there's a deterioration of the cartilage or damage to the cartilage, it, I don't know. I'm just speculating, but it feels like something that could have been detected beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's unfortunate. You you wonder if you wonder if this could have been known ahead of time with 
doing your homework about physicals and and all that stuff but uh man this is this is quite a bummer i mean you see the word indefinitely as well and you just yeah really sink jesus it's crazy we're just talking about him too i think that yeah, I mean, the timing of that is is also kind of uh coincidental I just I, <laughs> oh man I'll, i'm gonna do some digging and see what i can figure out but uh but yeah this is uh this is bad news for the hornets um Again, we don't know what indefinite means, but um, if you, you have you to don't know what indefinite season, means, Spencer. Well, <laughs> I know the literal definition of in, uh, of indefinite, but um, I, I don't, I don't because because know it is indefinite. What that means. No one knows, yeah. Right. So, um, but I mean, if the Hornets have to go into into the season with with two guys uh, as true point guards, here we are, just back on the. Uh, Back on the Ferris wheel of um, torture, and the and the bigger you know thing, I, I don't want to see Monk playing point guard that much. I'd rather see him off ball. So if we do go into the season with two point guards, technically Monk will be our third point guard. However you want to view it, I I, I like him off ball a whole lot more offensively. But, uh, man, I was looking forward to seeing Graham play this season, uh, and early on, who knows? I, again, and definitely, it's a very vague term. Man, I don't. <laughs> Uh, I'm yeah. just I'm just a little shocked right now. I'm just sort of caught off guard. Uh, this is it's unfortunate. It, the, he had really played. It's such a nice summer league, and the team was noticeably better with him on the court. And um, you know, this just you hate to see a guy heading into his rookie season. We just talked about the importance of training camp with Malik Monk, and you know, and that indefinitely is that indefinitely word is intentionally vague. Who knows when he'll come back? Hopefully, it's a safe and speedy recovery. But um, you know, it certainly seems like he's going to miss some valuable time mm-hmm. on the horizon, and that is that's a bummer for Devonte, and that's a bummer for the Hornets. All right. Well, who else do you guys want to talk about? God, this I don't know. I want to go get a drink now. Is what I want. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, I think I, I think know. Bacon's impressed me this uh, summer league, and you know he's always been a mid range player, so he's always going to you know hunt those spots around the mid range. But what he's truly impressed me with just getting to the basket, kind of like Devonte Graham. Uh, he has gotten to the basket a whole lot more, or at least relatively more than I assumed he did last season. Um, so he's impressed me. Miles Bridges, as the games have progressed, he's impressed me a little bit more, and he definitely fits that that switchy defense. Uh, off ball, he still struggles, but his athleticism, you know, his explosiveness definitely intrigues me a lot, and I like his high motor on the offensive rebound. So those those are the other two players that I would mention uh, would be Bacon and uh, Miles Bridges. Um, yeah, I, I've been impressed with Bacon too. I, I have, and and. He's going to have to have a big game. <laughs> However many more games the Hornets play here in summer league, he's going to have to play really, really well. If might be the last guy. He might have to play like one-on-five before this yeah. is all said and done. Um, but, yeah, I've been impressed with his ability to get to the rim, uh, his yeah, his decisiveness. I mean, Richie, you laid it out perfectly. Um, and he's knocked down some triples, you know, and and I think that really that's the that's the next uh, the next element of, um, of Bacon's game. If he can ever develop a – uh, trusty three-point shot and a consistent three-point shot, which is probably unlikely, but if he can, he, he all of a sudden becomes a very, very useful NBA player. Um, Even if it's just um, the corner threes, you know what I mean? I, I don't necessarily yeah, yeah. expect him yeah. to be a top-of-the-key top three guy. It, he hit at least one against Boston the other night, too, and that's going to be what makes or breaks his career, I think. You know, is Dwayne, is Dwayne Bacon a, 
is he a, a, an 11th or a 12th guy, or is Dwayne Bacon a guy that can be in, in the top eight, nine? Top, yeah, of a rotation, or maybe even a starter one day. Like that's 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 the career changer, and um, it would also means he would be taking less mid range shots, which is big for him too. I like a lot of parts of this game. He's been a good steals guy about two a game so far in summer league, and he. Did pretty well in terms of defensive RPM for a rookie last season, according to ESPN. But yeah, I, I like a lot of parts of his game. Just fewer mid-range shots and, and more corner threes. Just take as many as you can, man. Yeah, he's uh, Bacon has the potential to grow and develop into a Jeremy Lamb style of guy off the yeah. bench. And a guy who can just kind of a microwave score, if you will, um, in certain ways. Bacon has a really flat shot. Um, yes, he does. It, yeah. Very, very flat shot. I'm not sure that that will ever, he can ever take that out of his game. It's just the way he shoots the ball. Um, you know, thankfully he lets it go at its highest point, and he's, I think he's doing a better job of shooting on the way up. Um, but to your point, Richie, the fact that he's got a really, really flat shot means that that corner three is, you know, by far going to have the best chance to be the most consistent three point shot he can take. He's just not going to make a lot of three-pointers from the top of the arc from the farthest distance you can take that shot from with that flat of an arc it's just going to get front rim a lot so he's going to have to become effective from the corner um but as a slasher again is, is just a guy who can come in and, and, and give you uh, buckets off the bench and play some passable defense um you know he's got a role and uh and, and he can still get better and i think he's proven that in summer league so yeah, the only thing I'll add, um, I don't know if you guys want to talk about more individual players, but you know, just as a whole, this team, I kind of did a little bit of thread on this on Twitter today. Just It seems like we're playing, if we can, with our center position, a, a five out, trying to spread the defense a little bit more so that you have more space to work with. And obviously this won't work as well if you don't have, I would say, like three shooters on the court or three and a half shooters. If you have only like two shooters in the court, then a five-out system is really not going to work. But it seems like JB's offense looks, I wouldn't say completely different, but definitely different than what you see out of Clifford's uh, offense. It's not going to necessarily be so pick-and-roll heavy, but we'll, we'll still see that because of Kemba's presence in the pick-and-roll game. So as a team, collectively, that's a, one other thought that I kind of saw out there, just the offense looks differently. Uh, to me, and I'm sure he's trying out some new things and installing this new system because this is the same offense that we're going to see come come October. All right, so I've been honest with you guys. The last like five to ten minutes have been not good for me. I've just been sort of refreshing Twitter and upset about the Devonte Graham news is what I'm is what I'm sort of stewing about right now. But I've got I've got one more semi intelligent thought in my head tonight before my brain just totally powers off. Yeah, um, let's get there. Yeah, which is. I have actually been pleasantly surprised. I don't know. Pleasantly is probably un, unnecessary, but I've liked some of what I've seen with, with Miles Bridges. The shot has not looked great, especially from above the break, but he's done a few things. He's been bouncing active around the rim and on the glass. He's a vacuum when it comes to long rebounds. Like Mark, not, you know, I don't want to put him in the Marcus Smart, Pat Beverly style of category, but looks like he, like he could be that kind of player. And I was really impressed with one of the plays against Boston at the start. It was the first, I think it was maybe even Charlotte's first or second bucket of the game where they threw it into him in the post at the elbow. He threw it back out. Devontae and Aaron and Gomez were in a pick roll. He spaced to the corner, catch and shoot, drained it. And it was, when we were doing all the draft evaluations, that's exactly the kind of play you expected Miles Bridges to be able to make. 
And I like him as a screen setter. I like him as a playmaker. And, um, yeah, I just need that shot to go in a little bit more. Yeah, I've been impressed with Bridges. He hasn't blown me away with anything that, that I really didn't expect. I, I really like his potential to uh, to punish switches, uh, potentially in the NBA. I mean, he's obviously a really, really strong player, and he's had some creative moments um, getting to the rim and, and finishing um, in a pretty effective manner in summer league. We don't have access to the – you know, finishing numbers around the rim and all that good stuff. At least I don't think so during summer league. But he, he is he's impressed me with his ability to back guys down, mm-hmm. spin, spin, get to his left hand, you know, finish with his right hand. I mean, it's um, I've been impressed there, and it, and it makes me think that maybe one day he can be an isolation, uh, somewhat of an isolation style player that you can go to if you really really need a bucket. He he's you know years away from being that, but I mean this is the these are the early clues that, that maybe that type of player um, will develop at some point. And, uh, and look, the shot doesn't look great, like BG said, but um, he, he had some moments in the Hornets loss the other night uh, where he had 20 points. He made, I think, four triples. Um, maybe all of them came from the top of the key. Um, I think so. At least three of them did. So you know, I think the first one was from the corner. But point taken, okay. he shot. He he shot and made a a, yeah. a bunch. A lot out of the pick and pop, above the break. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And his ability as a screener. I mean, that that's a great point, uh, Richie. But you know, I, I think Miles is going to be a useful player from day one. Um, and and I think he showed good signs in summer league. In terms of the shooting, he took ten threes uh, on Monday night. So at the very least, he ain't. He ain't scared to take it, right? He's like Michael K. Gilchrist walking in as a rookie, and you're like, "Hey, buddy, we need to shoot some of these. You know, we need to at least try to try to develop this part of your game." So he he's not scared to let it go, and I think that uh, at the very least is a good sign when it comes to him shooting threes. My brain's done here. Um, all right, so I uh, again Saturday I'll be down in Raleigh with the Sports Channel Eight boys. Sports Channel 8 radio show, 10 a.m. to noon, 99.9. The fan, check us out. Don't forget, QueenCityHoops.com, home of BuzzBeat Radio, and we're a proud member of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network, which I think I forgot to mention at the beginning, so check them out as well. So thanks for being in here with us. Uh, Go watch some Hornets Summer League ball and just, hey, try to stay positive out there, okay? (laughs) Uh, We can just all try to stay positive. That's all we can do in life in basketball whatever it is just just uh, keep your head up kids all right see you next time everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium well magnesium is the number one mineral that 75 percent of americans are deficient in if you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance.
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.